Back in the early 90s, when there were still only four channels, animation seemed to be more ubiquitous on UK TV screens. The classic Hollywood cartoons of Warner Brothers, Disney and the Fleischer Brothers were given regular airings, often as slot fillers for 10-minute gaps before the news, and it was these shorts that nurtured my early love of animation. But it was Channel 4's animation strand formations that really changed my idea of what the medium could achieve. Colourful abstract animation now on 4, from Robert Darrell. Showcasing animated films from around the world, Formations introduced me to the work of Paul Dreesen and Bill Plimpton, Jan Svankmeyer and Alison Devere. Episodes of Formations would air in irregular time slots, not because the programmers disrespected the content, but because the diverse range of films included were not always suitable for pre-Watershed screening. This was a revelation to me, animation for adults. I'd never encountered it before, but it was clearly there in the bawdy sex films of Bob Godfrey, the violent satires of Phil Malloy, and the esoteric nightmare visions of the Brothers Quay. But these adult sensibilities were not always so overt. I didn't immediately fall in love with all these films, because I lacked the experience to understand their subtleties, or had yet to encounter for myself the emotions they depicted so vividly. Many of them seemed to end mid-story, without a punchline or an iris out, and seemingly with very little having happened. But far from putting me off, these odd films intrigued me to the extent that I actively sought more, following the formation strands that bounced around the schedule, and always entering into it with a beating heart filled with uncertainty as to whether I was about to be amused, disturbed, confused, uplifted or scared. Such was animation's extraordinary scope and power. I was hooked. Hello, I'm Andy Golding, and welcome to the fourth in a short series of very special episodes of Spoiler, in which the rest of the team have finally yielded to my obsessive rantings about animation, and allowed me the chance to talk to some of my animation heroes. In this episode, I'll be talking to Canadian artist, writer, director and animator John Weldon. In a career spanning over four decades, John has created animations in a wide range of styles, while always retaining a recognisable personal thumbprint that makes his work instantly identifiable as a John Weldon production. Perhaps best known for his 1978 film Special Delivery, which won the Oscar for Best Animated Short, John has created new and influential techniques for combining live action with animation, made an early example of a computer animated film on software he wrote himself, and pioneered the charmingly efficient and unique technique of recyclamation. Known for his literate, satirical and philosophical scripts, John has created some of the most original animation ever screened. Despite battling against a nasty cold, John pulled up a chair to talk to me about his career. The reason I I wanted to do this show about animation is that uh, I feel it's an incredibly underrated medium. I think it's a medium with endless possibilities above so many others. And yet I think many people trivialise it or see it as just for children or as a throwaway art form. And I was wondering if you've encountered this kind of reaction to animation in general or to your work specifically at any point. Yes, I do get it from people who don't watch a lot of films. So (laughs) (laughs) just make that assumption. But people who know my films know what they're like. Yeah. It doesn't bother me too much. I, I mean, I was thinking, I was thinking of opening with that question in particular with you because I, I do think of you as a, as not just a, a very adult filmmaker, but a, a thinking person's director in general. And I think right. most of your films have underlying messages or, or great points for discussion. 
I mean, I was looking right. at your your website, and the, it features a lengthy meditation on the meaning of uh, Frank the Rabbit. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's I was, funny. That's funny. So I discovered my, my my website is like five years out of date <laughs> at this point, at least that I've bothered to update anything on that. And the reason is because it's easier to organize things in other places like YouTube and uh, Flickr. I don't know if you know Flickr. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Because I've got a daily comic strip on Flickr, so. Oh, yeah, is, is that uh, Ashkan Ali? Ashkan Ali, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, you're, you're quite knowledgeable, aren't you? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, Can I just tell you a very funny story, one of, of pe- the way people react to my films. I'm sitting in my office, I'm drawing, this is maybe 20 years ago or more, and the door swings open, totally unannounced, a Korean film crew piles into my office sets up lights and starts to interview me. And the first question he asks is, could you comment on the epistemological theme that runs through your films? (laughs) (laughs) I've I've met someone who actually, you know, is smarter than me. (laughs) I didn't know that. I'm going to tell people that from now on. My films have an epistemological theme. Did he go on to elaborate on that then? (laughs) Well, I I managed to sort of uh, bullshit my way through it. And uh, somewhere in Korea, there's a documentary about me where I answer that question. Oh, I'm going to have to try and track that down. (laughs) I'd love to to hear your answer. I, I certainly uh, sense the kind of uh, philosophical themes that run through a lot of your work. Yeah. Uh, did, did you always, when you got into animation, was it always with the in, intention of uh, of probing into sort of deeper areas? Or? My background is not, I didn't really care what field I went into as long as it was something I could tell stories in. Yeah. Uh, the very first artistic thing I ever did was writing a musical comedy at a teacher's college where they had an annual musical review. Uh, It was called Genius is a Four-Letter Word. And uh, I lucked into that because they put on this thing every every year and they advertised for uh, someone to... uh, who wanted to write it, and I said, boy, that would be fun. Uh, they asked for a writing team, and I was the only one who showed up, and the producers looked at me and said, looks like you're it, go write this. Then <laughs> <laughs> a few months later, I saw people singing and dancing to lyrics that I had written, <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything else but this. I, mean, <laughs> be, I didn't know if it was going to be cartoons. I mean, I, was draw- I drew a comic book, and... Uh, called Pipkin Papers, and then I just lucked into the film board one day. I walked in the door. It it was sort of a complicated thing, but anyway, I I had made a short film on my own and shown it at a student film festival at a college where I wasn't even a student, but I knew (laughs) the guy who ran it. The head of the animation department happened to be there. That gave me the in to walk into his office, and I showed him the comic book I did, and he got all excited. I was surprised. (laughs) Uh, And then he went running around and showing it to other people. It turned out (laughs) that what they needed at that point was me. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that it was kind of a rare thing that you could quickly do a, a funny story and, and, and at that point what they wanted from me was they were trying to get in extra money from wholesome 
sources. They had to be wholesome, government-related or related to something that the government would think was wholesome because it's a, a national organization, the National yeah. Film Board. And so my job, would they come up with, with very strange things, uh, films like wholesome public service announcements uh, about uh, Department of Fisheries wanted a film about why you should eat more fish. Uh, the anti-drug department wanted a film about why you shouldn't take drugs. Um, the uh, Fire Chiefs Association of Canada was a godsend. They wanted lots of films about how to not burn down your house. Because <laughs> they prefer not to have their firemen have to stop that. <laughs> And so I, I was uh, kind of bounced up to Ottawa sometimes just to, to go up and write a little script on the fly. And sometimes there were things that I an animated, sometimes other people animated them and, and so on. So it was more a matter of storytelling. Afterwards, I kind of learned that to actually do the animation on the job. So uh, it was on the job training. Um, so you, that, did, you, did you run into uh, problems with this uh, wholesome image with, with some of your, your films? I mean, not that they're unwholesome, but uh, I'm sure um, something like Special Delivery, for instance, uh, oh, I mean, it's got oh, infidelity. Well, that was and I, 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 they had a thing called a program committee, which was supposed to vet all the films. Yeah. So I, I went and showed them a storyboard on slides that was almost exactly the film you see, except not moving. And they all laughed their heads off. <laughs> and that was pretty good. And then one said, wait a minute, everything's wrong with this film. This is not the sort of film we should be making. This is an immoral film. This guy commits crimes and gets away with it. Uh, his wife has an affair. What are we supposed to do? We can't let this out in the public. And there was this long pause. I was sort of sweating. And then somebody else said, yeah, but it's really funny. <laughs> 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 and so oh, they all voted for it anyway. <laughs> Despite the fact that it, it, it sort of was maybe the opposite of everything the film Morton was supposed to be doing. When Ralph returned home, there was a body lying on his front stairs. It was the mailman. He had obviously slipped on the ice that Ralph hadn't cleaned away and broken his neck. Ralph, fearing the wrath of the letter carrier's union, carried the body into the house. Saying what happens if a, if a conservative member of parliament sees this film? They said, "How often do they watch cartoons?" <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> One of them did really criticize him, but it turns out he was basing it only on the titles, so he was correctly <laughs> seen them. But uh, they both basically didn't want the government paying for the film board at all, so it didn't really matter. I mean. It, <laughs> They picked on some very funny things. An American congressman got outraged uh, about a film, not of mine, but of uh, Kai Pindle's, uh, where he noticed that there were two advertising signs in the background, and one said smoke, and the other one said pot. <laughs> <laughs> and it had been in this film for 20 years. No one had noticed that. <laughs> this one American congressman. And I got... Um, I, I don't know if you've seen this one. It's called... A Giordano, it's a one-minute short. Uh, I don't think I have, no. And I wrote the script, and Chris Hinton did the animation on that one. And it was supposedly illustrating uh, the, the Canadian, the Canadian con 
Constitution has a thing called the Charter of Rights and Liberties or something like that in it. And we were supposed to that would be a wholesome thing to illustrate a particular aspect of that. Yeah. So I decided freedom of speech and opinion would be a good thing from my point of view. And Giordano Bruno was a, a guy who got burned at the stake for uh, believing there might be life on other planets. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was a pretty... And Chris did a wonderful job of making it into a very funny cartoon about this guy being burned at the stake. <laughs> and uh, somebody from a, a Catholic magazine was curious, and they went to the Prime Minister, who went to the Minister of Culture, who went to the head of the film board, who went to the head of the English programming, who went to the head of animation, who went to the producer of the film, and then finally that came down to me, saying, would you feel this? And I got this angry phone call from this <laughs> woman, who actually completely defended the burning of Giordano Bruno, because he was corrupting the youth. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I, I, I said to her, well, would you burn me at the stake? And she said, oh no, you seem like a nice man. <laughs> so I guess I managed to charm her enough out of that. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the complaints are often very very strange as to which thing gets complained about. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I was looking... I thought Frank the Rabbit was very anti-religious, but uh, I hardly got any f negative feedback on that. No, the only negative feedback I've seen actually was online. I actually wrote this down earlier. Someone had posted on YouTube underneath it. Uh, it says, there is a brief message in here, but it speaks sarcastically to the feeble-minded. <laughs> I thought, there's so much wrong with that. Not least that if you speak sarcastically to the feeble-minded, they're probably going to take it literally. <laughs> okay. um, I was going to follow up by asking you, uh, if you if you often get attacked in this way for, for tackling these controversial subjects, but clearly uh, clearly not. It's, uh, not. it's a minority. Not really. It, it more works the other way around. I get more, essentially, I, I get more praise than, yeah. than condemnation. And when I get condemnation... It's often inarticulate anyway, so I don't, <laughs> don't really care. It's difficult to um, respond to that, isn't it, really? <laughs> I've read a lot about uh, the three-minute film you made uh, for the National Film Board of Canada, Log Driver's Waltz. Uh, yeah, I've read a lot about it being the most the most often seen of their films. Yes, it's, a, it's kind of sad, because it's my lightest film I've ever made. That's what I think. It's, it's it fairly been, atypical, it, isn't it? Well, so therefore it's the most beloved. All <laughs> I have to do is, uh, you know, go anywhere and walk up to people and, and, and somehow slip in. I'm the guy who made Log Driver's Waltz and they just... <gasps> in Canada only. <laughs> that only works in Canada. They, they, uh, one guy just gave immediately gave me a big kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it would have been a pretty girl. But if you ask any girl from the parish around what pleases her most from her head to her toes, she'll say, I'm not sure that it's business of yours, but I do like to waltz with a log driver, for he goes burning down and down white water. That's where the log driver learns to step lightly. It's burning down and down white water. The log driver's waltz pleases girls completely. Uh, yeah, and it's been driving me crazy ever since. <laughs> I, I 
you know, I just, I, you know, I'm not nice about it. They made a, they put it on a stamp. They made a T-shirt out of it. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, there, there's a certain movement afoot to use it inappropriately because it's a highly recognizable character. And therefore, certain, I have to, I'm trying to be very vigilant about not letting it be used just for any old thing. Yeah. I, I, do, I don't know if you know this. This is way off the point, but do you remember Bob Dylan's song, uh, The Times They Are A-Changing? Oh, yeah. You know that song? Yeah. It's a sort of 60s revolutionary anthem. And about three years ago, it got used for an ad for the Bank of Montreal. Can you imagine how that ruins that song? <laughs> that it's a bunch of kids singing that, and in the end it's, they're all going into the Bank of Montreal <laughs> to give them their money. Times they are changing, you know, come gather around. So I, I, I'm quite shocked. I don't know whether to be shocked at Bob Dylan, but I, I, I don't want that to happen to the long driver. <laughs> no. and, it, and it could, it could. <laughs> Is there a, a particular film of yours that you would you would prefer to to be held in higher regard and more widely seen? Well, it depends on what you mean. I mean, my, I think my best film was To Be. It, oh, it's fantastic! Yeah, yeah, I was and, watching that today. Actually, and it has just takes a couple of things to to make it me happy. I mean, it got screened at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Oh, fantastic! Uh, Daniel Dennett. I don't know if you know him. He's a philosopher. Oh, yeah. Four horsemen, as they call him. Yeah. He wrote a book called Consciousness Explained. Anyway, he, he, he says he uses the film in his philosophy class. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. But best of all, I got a, a, an email from a, a girl in Texas who was born in Pakistan. And she lives in Texas with her parents, who are strict Muslims. Now, if you can imagine the problem of being a young person, she's in her 20s, strict Muslim parents in Texas, which is the most bigoted <laughs> place in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and she wrote me to say that when she was 14, she saw 2B and it changed her life. I don't know in what way, <laughs> but it was some sort of inspiration to yeah. her. And, and she just wanted to tell me how wonderful that was, how broadening or whatever it was to her after being in sort of two kinds of bigotry <laughs> especially when you're there are two kinds of bigotry that hate each other you know yeah <laughs> you have to balance them out you know? that that makes a film worthwhile almost in and of itself yeah yeah so it's it's, it's more it's more that sort of artistic uh, success that is is the reward than the than say like i mean when you won the oscar did that did that mean much to you or well, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, did and it, it was did quite it... early in my career, so it kind of... Uh, oh, made yeah, it, it made it made easier it, for you to... It too. made life a little bit easier yeah. from then on. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking about 2B. One of my good friends, who's also a very good filmmaker, said to me, 2B, I hate that film. It makes you think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I, I have I have a tough time picking my 
I have to break it down to eras, I think, because I, I love so many of them. But the one that, that I, I come back to a lot is The Hungry Squid. Which yeah, I, that was quite was late. In, that might have been about my... Uh, really done quite late. Yeah. And part of the reason for doing it, of course, was just to uh, try a completely different technique. Yeah. So I, I had a puppet maker make these puppets. There are a lot of puppet animators around the film board, and they take a lot of time to make their films, and they balance their little puppets on sets, and they have skeletons that they adjust them carefully through things like that. And I decided I would just cheat all the way. The puppets are just photographed on their side, and they don't have any skeletons. And they're just completely soft and can be easily manipulated, and then they just get matted into... Uh, I just had a piece of black mat underneath the digital camera going into a computer. That was the point where I'd gone, gone completely into computers. And because uh, I, I, they just make life easier. And, and one of the things that made it possible for animation to survive the film board when the film board was getting cut back a lot was animation got cheaper and cheaper. Once the, the computers came in, it, it eliminated a lot of the really expensive equipment that was needed yeah. uh, to make them, so that they actually got cheaper. And the more one could adapt to computers, the more one got to be able to make more films in one's last few years. So that was my, my idea, just use regular puppets. Uh, the backgrounds are mostly photographs, uh, or photographs that I just cropped together on the, on the computer of bits and pieces. Almost anyone who sees that film recognizes all the backgrounds from uh, that all the photographs were taken within a mile of my front door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just went out in the street, oh, there's a nice house, there's a nice house, but together. It's all done very in a very simple fashion compared to the way most puppet animation is done. And also I could cheat, you know. I mean, you can use the computer to stretch a puppet's arm longer than it would actually stretch in, <laughs> in a real puppet. But that's that's part of the charm of it, isn't it? That, that I believe look. animation is cheating and you should cheat as much as you possibly can. <laughs> Get as much done as quickly as possible. I don't believe in spending years on projects. I managed to get quite a lot of stuff done while I was there. And it's just to, to cheat and and to remember, this is something I, whenever I give a guest lecture to animation students, the drawings you're doing are going to be on the, the screen for a tenth or a twelfth of a second. They don't have to be that good. <laughs> <laughs> no one is looking at it like Leonardo da Vinci. It's... And the log driver is a classic example. The log driver's less than an inch high when I drew him, and he's just a little scribble, really. He doesn't even look... When they had to get a, a picture to put on the T-shirt, the they had a hard time finding what was the right picture to put on them, because they all, as stills, they don't look very good. That's really interesting, though, that when they, they move it... It was intended to be on good old-fashioned standard definition television of the era <laughs> and so it, it, it was it's very low resolution very scribbly but there's one picture they used on the on the t-shirt 
which actually was quite good. It's the only time in the entire film that Block Driver stands still for uh, a half a second. And it's uh, uh, when there's a doctor lawyer dancing around and he falls over and this log driver is standing proudly beside him. And that's the only good drawing I did of a log driver in the whole film. Some of of your 80s films have got some quite... uh, you really start to move into some quite experimental techniques like uh, Real Inside, for instance, as uh, the the combination of live action and an animation that predated Roger Rabbit, didn't it? Real Inside uses a camera that moves around freely in the set, and so it was a bit of a trickiness on my part to be able to lock the foot of the rabbit. Uh, actually, he's a dog, right? He's a dog, yeah, yeah. He's a dog. <laughs> the floor and lock him and, and, and do all that. Unfortunately for that, that, that film t- actually took quite a long time. <laughs> I sort of wish, if I'd done it in, in, in the computer era, which was just before the computer era, so it was all done in the old-fashioned uh, way. Mr. Boom. <laughs> Marital status. <laughs> Single, oh, I presume. Well, I'm seeing somebody. Real nice girl. That is of no concern. Live action. <laughs> Please, Mr. Boom. I'm glad she's no daughter of mine. Those live-action girls really go Mr. for it. Mr. Boom, please. Now, previous experience. Well, there was this older woman. Business experience, Mr. Boom. Oh. But then you, you made a of, of Dyson Men. Was that was that made on the on just like a standard office computer? That was made on a small standard office computer, and I wrote all the software myself. Oh wow. <laughs> Because it's still got a really great look. Well, there was no animation software for a small office computer at at all, or very little even art. And uh, the thing about that computer, it was a Texas Instruments computer, was that it had color. Almost none of the computers had color in that that when I started that film. Uh, Not the small office one. They were all just black and white screens. And this one had eight colors, exactly eight colors. (laughs) And all the different colors that appear in there are actually textures, yeah. mixing colors together. But that was all part of the way I wrote the, the software for that particular thing. That was my other hobby, you see. That's why I was um. able to computers quicker than anybody else. <laughs> it sounds like quite a lot of work for someone who's so fond of, of finding cheats to uh, <laughs> to not take so long over things. Yeah, I very rarely uh, completely imitated a, a technique. Usually I went from one to another because otherwise I would have gotten bored. Yeah, sure. People do films that look the same one after the other, but I just went from, you know, animation could be very boring <laughs> 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 to actually do if you didn't, you know, give yourself a new challenge each yeah. time. And then when you made uh, The Lump, was The Lump the first the first uh, film you made that used this technique uh, that Marcy Page dubbed Recyclamation? Right, Marcy, uh, yeah, she came up with that word. Um, I was so sick of the taking time on animation that I thought, what, what is the quickest possible way to actually get some animation done? And that would be just moving stuff around under the camera, but not careful cutouts. So I, I asked people if, like most people have in their basement, a box of scraps, especially women's for some reason you know they trim off a bit of stuff like that i said you've got little scraps of cloth bring them in and i will use them to make a 
film, and all the so-called puppets are just little squashed up bits of uh, cloth, maybe with a bit of string around them <laughs> and so on. And I took photographs of various people in the animation department and used those for the heads, but I distorted them on an Atari computer so they wouldn't be too recognizable. Right. And then they were photographed on, on off the screen with a regular camera, and then the prints were, I just cut the heads out of the prints and, and just laid them loosely on the cloth. And then the thing that made it work the most was a girl, Jennifer Small. I was uh, working with her a bit, and she, I was having a hard time making the, the bits of cloth stay in exactly position, and she got this clever idea. We went to a, a fishing supply store and got out the little lead weights that you put on fishing lines. And the guy sold us a whole jar full because they were people didn't like using lead anymore. So I ended up hot gluing these to the back of the, the little pieces of, of cloth so they they'd move around. And I was uh, actually knocking off. Uh, five or six seconds of animation a day completely finished under the camera, which is pretty quick. George was a very fine fella. He was known as a really good sport. George was never too popular. George was unattractive and short. He couldn't get served in a restaurant if he cried garçon all day. And when he tried to feed the pigeons in the park, the pigeons all flew away. So, but then for, for, for to be, you went back to like an earlier style. Sort of, it's basically the same as special delivery. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's just straight on a piece of paper with coloured pencil. Did you just feel that, that that film had had so much to think about that you, you well, wanted the, the simplest style? Well, the only difference and talking about drawing small... The difference is that uh, special delivery was drawn on a four-inch field. The whole film is is just four inches on a side on a yeah. on the piece of paper. Yeah. And to be, it's on a five-inch field. Uh. <laughs> and that's because my eyesight started to fade <laughs> in between the two films, so I had to make it just a little bit bigger. I wonder how big the fields would have got if you would continue <laughs> in that way. Well, it's a pretty efficient technique, actually. If you can do the animation straight on there, a lot of people said, "Oh, I can see your construction lines," and they said, "What makes it better?" Yeah, you know? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> the, the technique is not hidden from the public at all. Yeah, that that does it. It makes you feel part of it, though. It's like those early claymation films with thumbprints in. Right, and that's that's why that's why I like Nick Park stuff so much. Yeah. It looks dirty. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like, you know, the pieces of wood look like pieces of little pieces of wood. (laughs) (laughs) My heartfelt thanks to John Weldon for his witty summation of an amazing career. You can find out more about John and his work at his admittedly five years out of date website, (laughs) weldonalley.ca. It was a jest and all in fun. Now You've been listening to Spoiler with me, Andy Golding. On the next Spoiler Animation Special, I'll be talking to Canadian animator and artist Sheldon Cohen, director of the national cultural phenomenon The Sweater, 
and the powerful 2015 short, My Heart Attack. I think when animation works, what's common would be that magic, that magic of things moving. And, you know, animate, the um, root word is to give spirit to, you know, to bring something to life. I mean, that's, that's quite amazing in itself, just that you're bringing something to life. Brand new me, brand new day, no more last month's bills to pay. They were owed by another me, and she has ceased to be. You can find out more about Spoiler and listen to our past shows at spoilerpodcast.co.uk or find us on Facebook, Twitter, Acast and iTunes. Also, check out my list of a thousand and one animated shorts you must see. You can find the link at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hoare and is recorded in the studios of Siren FM in the heart of the beautiful cathedral city of Lincoln. Nothing's fun unless it's new. That's why we take turns to see what it's like to be.